Welcome to Museum Archipelago. I'm Ian Elsner. Museum Archipelago guides you through the rocky landscape of museums. Each episode is never longer than 15 minutes. So let's get started. There's a new tool in young earth creationists' quest for scientific legitimacy, the museum. Over the past 25 years, dozens of so-called creation museums have been built, most of them in the U.S., Borrowing the style of natural history museums and science centers, these public display spaces use the form and rhetoric of mainstream science to support a belief in the literal truth of the Bible, including the creation of the universe in six days, about 6,000 years ago. A museum lets creationists speak directly to the people in an unfiltered and unchallenged way. Just by being able to put all this inside something that's called a museum and use these sort of trappings of science, it really gives creationism that additional feel of legitimacy and credibility that it might not otherwise have. This is Julie Garcia, and her interest in both evolution and the people who vehemently deny it led her to explore why museums are a particularly well-suited medium for creationist ideas. My name is Julie Garcia. I was formerly known as Julie Duncan at the time that I wrote my senior thesis, which was called Faith Displayed as Science, the role of the Creation Museum in the modern American creationist movement. Garcia grew up in Kentucky, and as an undergrad at Harvard, she decided to become a history and science major. At other colleges, that's known as history and philosophy of science which is basically just the study of what science is and why we trust it and what are different ways of knowing the world. For me, part of the reason I had gone into it is because I had always just had a fascination with evolution. And I had also had a corresponding fascination with why so many people so vehemently didn't like evolution and why so many people to the point of 30, 40, sometimes 50% in certain polls believe in creationism. I was prompted to write this thesis when in probably 2006 or so, I heard that in my backyard in Boone County, Kentucky, Answers in Genesis, a creationist organization, was going to be building the largest creation museum in the world, known as the Answers in Genesis Creation Museum, a $27 million facility over many acres, uh, about 10 minutes from my house. The Answers in Genesis Creation Museum, also known as just the Creation Museum, opened in 2007. In its first year, it reported 400,000 visitors. I eventually decided, coming into the summer of 2008, before my senior year, that I would spend that summer traveling to back home to Kentucky to visit the Creation Museum there and three other creation museums around the U.S. The Creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas, Dinosaur Adventureland, and the related Creation Museum in Pensacola, Florida, and the Institute for Creation Research, which is near San Diego, California. So that's kind of how it all started, and and I spent the summer 2008 visiting those and talking to people and, and learning about the four different museums. Garcia chose these four museums for their stylistic differences and for their geographical diversity. At each one, she viewed the exhibits and talked to the founders and staff, then analyzed and highlighted the messages and methods common to all of the museums. There was some trepidation before I went because I was worried that 
by disclosing that I was not a creationist, that they would assume that I was out to write a smear piece on their museums, which honestly, when I read my thesis now, I think there are certain things that I would now phrase differently that came off um, snarkier than I think I would write them now. But everyone was very kind to me and they were all very eager to show me everything that they had built and they were very proud of it. I came away from it thinking, you know, these these are very nice people with whom I just <laughs> disagree. But that's the thing that kind of stuck in my mind the most is that I everyone I talked to was very nice and obviously very faithful and, and believed completely in what was being shown in the museums. I did feel uncomfortable seeing all the children there. It's one thing, obviously, for adults to decide what they believe and do whatever they want with those beliefs and feel very strongly about them and, and <laughs> teach them to others. It was just a little troubling to me or disheartening to see young children very impressionable, learning things that I personally consider to be contrary to science, undoubtedly contrary to established mainstream science. But of course, that's kind of the purpose of these museums. All four museums heavily featured dinosaurs, either in audio animatronic form or as fossils. This is not just because of the time compression of geological ages present in young Earth creationism. It is also because dinosaurs attract the public, particularly children, to these museums. The founder of the Answers in Genesis Creation Museum, Ken Ham, calls dinosaurs missionary lizards for their attention-getting power. Yes, I did feel some discomfort seeing kids being kind of explicitly told, hey, these dinosaurs were alive, you know, 6,000 years ago, and people were riding them. Like in Answers in Genesis, they actually have a triceratops toward the end of the museum with a saddle on it. And you can sit on it and take a picture. And it's it's not a joke. It is a representation of what the museum says, you know, would have been a typical pre-flood diorama where um, humans were living together with dinosaurs. All of them basically said in different ways, Dr. Hoven from Dinosaur Adventureland in Florida and Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis both very explicitly say that the purpose of using things like dinosaurs is to attract the children and to bring them in. You know, then again, with distance now, I can acknowledge that that is true of secular museums, too. That's why we're all fighting over who's going to buy for several million dollars the best specimen of a T-Rex and so on, because we all know that dinosaurs sell. But at the same time, given the counter narrative being told at these museums about dinosaurs and humans living together, yes, I did feel some discomfort. So why build a museum? Garcia argues that there are three significant and interrelated reasons. The first, museums are seen as credible. Museums really have a long history in the U.S. as places of scientific research and public education. In the 20th century, they were sometimes referred to as cathedrals of science, this idea that they were buildings where we set forth, you know, the best of human knowledge and human endeavor and everything that that the collective knowledge of our species was placed in these these buildings for everyone to see and to learn from so simply by attaching that phrase that word museum it just automatically gives what's inside the building 
a sheen of credibility that it otherwise wouldn't have if it were called, you know, a theme park or a Bible center or something like that. The second reason also relates to the focus on dinosaurs. Museums are more entertaining than school, Bible study, or Bible school. It's a kind of entertaining that a lot of teachers are going to like. A lot of parents and teachers, you know, they want an educational experience for kids. And so a lot of parents who might not want to spend the money to take kids to what they feel like is kind of a frivolous day at a theme park can get behind the idea of taking them to a museum where they're going to be learning about science and they're going to be learning wholesome things and kind of bettering themselves. Um, Now, going along with that, the entertainment value uh, is a decent amount of money. Uh, At least as of the time that I was writing my thesis, I know that evangelicals uh, were the primary audience for a a market of about $4 billion a year um, in the religious entertainment industries. The final reason? Going directly to the people. Number three, I think, honestly, might even be the most important of them, which is that a museum lets creationists speak directly to the people in an unfiltered and kind of unchallenged way. And I think this is a large part of a larger movement away from what creationists had been doing, which was bringing these challenges in the court system. They, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, had suffered a string of kind of stinging defeats. The court, when things go right, a legal proceeding is designed to get to the truth. And part of getting to the truth is subjecting uh, subjecting assertions to rigorous cross-examination. And you have someone sitting up there, the judge, who makes rulings about what is a good argument and and what's not and can keep certain evidence out and can rule on who qualifies as an expert. And those were things that weren't going well for creationists. You know, after they lost a number of these cases, they started moving more toward this museum model. And I think that is because there is no cross-examination in a museum. In fact, there is no opposite point of view if you don't want to give it. There's no requirement that you describe how other people see evidence or that you respond to criticisms of the way that you are presenting your point of view. Being able to go directly to your audience without a middleman is one of the main ways the media landscape more broadly has changed. There's now more space for viewpoints that used to be far outside the mainstream to directly attract their own audience. And it doesn't have to be on the level of a single institution either. Garcia talks about guides to scientifically informed museums, zoos, and aquariums for sale in the Creation Museum's gift shop, meant to be used at these other institutions for alternative, biblically correct interpretations of their displays. I know that in addition to those printouts that you can purchase through Answers in Genesis and other sources, there are also some organizations that provide these tours, uh, such as a group called Biblically Correct Tours that does tours of natural history museums. And my understanding of how these work is that essentially it's an offshoot of this idea of the two-model approach, 
which is the idea that evolution and creationism are two competing philosophies and that they essentially look at the same evidence, but they just draw different conclusions. And so by having a sort of biblically correct tour of the museum, these organizations explain how creationism is not opposed to science in, in their view, because they know that Americans, for the most part, like science. Nobody wants to be anti-science. So if anybody disagrees about things like climate change or evolution, usually the way that it is phrased is not, well, I don't like science and I just reject science. It's more, well, I take a different view of the science and, uh, I, you know, there are two sides to this story and I follow this interpretation and so on. It's not just that museum goers like science. Garcia points out that audiences tend to trust information more if it's presented in a high-tech style. In her conclusion, Garcia writes that it seems probable that in the years to come, we will see the construction of more museums, most likely in the high-tech style of the Answers in Genesis Creation Museum, which has proven to be quite lucrative. Now, uh, it's easier for people through media like Twitter and through buildings like their own creation museums to kind of claim the same sort of authority uh, and have an impact that they otherwise might not have, um, you know, in the past where they wouldn't they wouldn't have had that ability to get their message out. This has been Museum Archipelago. You can find show notes and a full transcript of this episode at museumarchipelago.com. If you liked this episode, you can support the show and get some fun benefits, like logo stickers and a bonus podcast feed, by joining Club Archipelago on Patreon. Special thanks to Club Archipelago's newest member and host of the excellent Museums in Strange Places podcast, Hannah Hethman. Thanks for listening. And next time, bring a friend.